Hello, this is Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice, with me, Michael Q. And me, Roger Bell West. And uh, having got through um, all the festive stuffing yourself and stuffing other people and um, just general stuffing of the festive season, we hope you are well, we hope you are conscious, we hope you are listening to the bonbons of delight that will bring you this month. So we've been looking at historical settings and how historical do you want them to be and what what are, what are the downsides when they're not? And uh, the giving of gifts, which is upon our minds just at this moment in time, and the dangers and pitfalls and pratfalls thereof. Uh, but before any of that, uh, thank you to Robert Wolfe and John Hagen, both of whom have dropped some money in our tip jar. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Does encourage us to keep doing the show. It's it's very welcome, however little. Ah, a small contribution is better than no contribution. I always say. Our friends at the Bundle of Holding have sent us a nice thing to recommend for, uh, well, in our case, Christmas. In your case, New Year presents. Um, which is Steve Jackson's first uh, big um, game design, the Fantasy Trip. Well, one of his first big game game designs. Uh, The Fantasy Trip was his first attempt at a a, a fantasy uh, role-playing game. It concentrated at the start and afterwards very much on the... um, on the low level man versus man man versus monster uh style of thing as indeed he, he an approach he chose to follow with GURP several years later yeah so that's while, while what you're saying is technically accurate i think it is to some extent misleading Look, it, we, oh goody that's what i do in this <laughs> podcast you know wa- wa- wavy lines and we we go back to 1977 um, yes yes all right special effects special effects a little bit of tinsel, and the first first part of this that comes out is called, is is called melee, and it is a board game, and I think it's worth remembering that in those days, even in the nineteen eighties, the distinction between role playing game and tactical combat board game was not no. um, firm or even sometimes existent. So, you know, melee is basically a game of start up a a warrior of some sort and have fights. Yeah. Uh, then I think the same year, uh, Wizard came out, which is similarly um, stat up your magician yeah. and have fights. Mm. And then in 1980, In the Labyrinth came out, and that this is unquestionably a role playing game system. Yeah. Um, not only does it have rules for things other than fights. Uh, it has, I think, the earliest iteration of the point by system. You can have talents in things, and if you have the talent, then you can roll against the relevant stat to do talent talent related things. Otherwise, you can't. That kind of thing. Yeah. In the labyrinth, it's, sti- it's still not, to be fair, a hugely de- detailed system, but it is out of the dungeon and into the world. Well, out, a, out a of little. the arena and into the dungeon, arguably. <laughs> yeah, actually, a point. That's why it's called in the labyrinth, of course. Uh, I mean, yes, you you can do out of door stuff as well, but the, yeah, the, this is basically, I think, it would be fair to say, covering the same sort of ground as um, 
what was by this point becoming called basic D&D. You know, you are a bunch of adventurers. Your primary activity is to fight things. And I think there's some other stuff you can do as well. Yeah, I think I think it has a strong feel of uh, tunnels and trolls as well, especially mm. since the the first thing some amongst the first things to get released for it were solo games. Yeah. Um, also in 1980, Steve Jackson and Howard Thompson, the owner of Metagaming, who have been publishing this, have a disagreement. Details not available and not really relevant. But basically, no. Steve leaves Metagaming. The rights remain with Metagaming. Uh, they yep. publish, I believe, a few other things for it. Um, but in 1983, Metagaming shuts down. As a corporate entity, of course, it is allowed to continue to hold rights to things. And Howard Thompson asks when Steve Jackson... Well, Steve, Steve gets the rights to Ogre back. Yeah. Uh, for, for the fantasy trip, the stuff he wrote for it, he is asked $250,000 and says that is way too much. So Which is true. Print. And mm. it's probably fair to say that that is the point at which Steve starts working on GURPS, which which clearly owes quite a bit to the fantasy trip in, in conceptual terms, and that comes out in 87, and uh, mm. not relevant. So, in 2017, Steve manages to get his rights back, uh, basically because it has been 35 or 40 years or whatever it is, um, since there was last any activity on them, and he can say, right, I, I'm I'm allowed under, I think it's Texas law, maybe US, to yeah. reclaim this thing because nothing is being done with it by the people I licensed it to. Hmm. Which is a weird, if, I, all right, that is a really weird um, uh, a bit of, 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 of US or Texan Anything that stops uh, things rotting forever because somebody just wants to sit on them, I regard as good. I'd rather it went public domain, but hey. Anyway, so 2018, there's a Kickstarter new edition. Yeah, I'm merely, say, I'm merely saying, why, why, why wasn't that valid years ago? But, yeah. all right, so, so there's Kickstarter. The new edition, and that new edition is what's here. Um, by all accounts, it's pretty much the same game. I mean, there are there are paragraphs mm. that are recognisable, certainly. Uh, obviously, it's been done in a modern layout engine, yeah. which is nice. It means you've actually got, if, if you had PDFs of the old versions illicitly, they probably weren't OCR'd, whereas these are actual text, which is nice. Mm. Um, yeah, but uh, it is pretty much the same game. Of course, now there is a market for games about dungeon bashing and its old school RPGs. Yes, and this this is I I was inclined to uh, to, uh, to dismiss it when it first the, when the Kickstarter happened as uh, as more indulgence for for old grognards, um, and it is. But on the whole, I feel I feel that's less of a bad thing now. There, there. Well, it is uh, at least the actual original game by the yeah. actual original designer, rather than somebody's copy of it based on the stories somebody told about how they played back in the day, which is nice. Which is nice. There, uh, and there, there is so much enthusiasm about it from uh, people who were in it back, into it back in the day and uh, people who have discovered it recently. And it produced, they produced a very nice um, a, a re re recreation of it. I should imagine the physical... Uh, Kickstarter is uh, is even nicer than these PDF PDFs are, but you can't ha have everything, and maybe they've still got a few hanging around on well Warehouse Twenty Three. 
they are continuing to support it, which is a really good thing. Hmm. Um, yeah, there, there are quite a few things already in this bundle. Uh, well, actually, a solo adventure David Pulver wrote quite recently, Red Crypt. Yeah. Uh, if you pay, yeah, so in the labyrinth, you know about Death Test, two adventures. I think those are solo. Tolenkar's Lair. Mm. Uh, if you get the extra collection, there's the Companion and TFT Adventures Volume One, and so on. And the first yes. issue of Hexagram, which is their ongoing zine. I think they're up to issue ten or so now. Which, as I say, is a good is a good thing. And in this in this case, they are. More than happy to um, encourage amateur or, or semi-professional uh, production of uh, of supplements for it, and um, it, there there is quite a lot of stuff hanging around. Um, this will certainly boost uh, sales of the the other material on um, uh, from uh, Warehouse Twenty Three, and this is obviously a, a good thing as far as those who like it. Um, uh, Steve Jackson games are concerned. I'd like it more if this sort of um, hex-based um, dungeon crawling thing was what I was doing more of right now. <laughs> I'd like to, but I'm finding it a little hard to do on um, uh, on uh, with a uh, with a mostly um, online-based uh, uh, set of ga- gaming uh, campaigns. But maybe I will figure out a way to 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 do this um, within the, those limitations. It's a lot less; it should be a lot less complex to um, to uh, computerize uh, than GURPS is. Yeah, um, I think on the one hand, it is a game of the late nineteen seventies, and therefore not super complicated in terms of rules. Mm. On the other hand, it is a game of the late 1970s, and so the rules are not always written as clearly as they might be, because there have been advances in how yeah. rules are written since then. And as I say, there's, there's been some relayout, but this does seem to be basically the same text. I don't know that it needed. I don't know that it could take, other than um, other than a really major rewrite. I don't know that it could take a great deal of expansion, but. It's a sound. It's a sound system for what it's for, and uh, and that's normally considered a virtue these days. And uh, to to misquote Firefly, but why do I need two role playing systems from the same company with a lot of overlap? You know, I really don't. <laughs> but they are still producing GURPS, so all is well. <laughs> well, that was that was more the other part of my feeling when. Um, uh, when I was deciding not to back the uh, the Kickstarter, because I had GURPS and GURPS does everything, do, does everything this does and a bit more. But if you don't want to stretch your brain, people do. I know it's inconceivable to you and me, Roger, uh, but people do complain that GURPS is too complicated for them. And so I have uh, to say that when when what I want to do is run up six um, player characters for for an adventure that I've just written. My word, it's more work than it needs to be. <laughs> anyway, this is the Fantasy Trip uh, 2018 edition, and it is on the bundle of holding until the 9th of January 2023. This has been a not entirely paid for a commercial endorsement because we really like the system.
As you listen to this, you are doubtless sitting back in the consciousness of um, duty well done. By the time you listen to this, you will doubtless have sailed magnificently through all the shoals uh, and whirlpools of, of the festive season and given gifts and received them with grace, aplomb and dignity, with suitable um, thoughtfulness about the needs and desires of the person you're giving it to and an ability to smile, even though it's another bloody jumper. Uh, when your aunt gives you one. But um, it occurred to me, partly because of the season and partly because of something Roger pulled in a game on uh, Sunday afternoon, as I, as I say this, that there is a topic and a mechanism and a cultural thing to be explored here, uh, which is the giving of gifts, which is a universal human uh, custom. And one in which you can stick your foot quite firmly uh, um, uh, into your mouth, and uh, one in which there are unexpected um, opportunities for role playing. So I, I think it's important to note that it is more universal than the human custom of indebtedness. Mm. And that, that may, may well be one of the reasons why it has such different implications in different places. Is, is that, is that your, your cynical voice speaking or your economist's voice? There's a difference. All right. So what happened to us on Sunday, just to get in the obligatory gaming uh, narrative, was we found ourselves in, fr in front of a moderately powerful um, fey, is that the polite term? Fey lord um, in Roger's modern magic um, game. And he wanted to be, he wanted a gift from us. In fact, it was very, um, very wrong of us to appear in his court without having prepared a gift. And he wanted to be entertained because he was, as aren't they all, a whimsical fey lord. He's bored, short attention span, etc. That sort of thing. Um, uh, 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 proud, proud as Satan and surrounded by his, um, his minions who might smite us any second um we did have the anti-magical um uh, spray gun and the and the depleted aluminium shells but uh small ones for the sniper's rifle but uh, uh but we did not feel to be at a tactical advantage at that moment tell me roger did you have a clear idea of how we were going to get out of that once we got ourselves in oh there are several possibilities um well that's nice to know I mean, for well, okay. This is not. This is, in fact, uh, an adventure for the liminal RPG, which I'm oh, this is a, right as as they all have been so far, in fact. Um, but it, it has some suggestions. I've thought of some other things of similar value that 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 you might offer him. Um, I just should say there are two things. One, he wants to be entertained, and two, if you if you are going to get him to do the thing that you want him to do, which is a thing clearly to his disadvantage. He wants something, something to compensate him for that. Yeah, and the and the second thing is is more than mere entertainment. I think the entertainment, which was uh, supplied by um, uh, one of the players um, out, out out of nowhere, as I can, as far as I can see, out of his copious imagination, and he should get a round of applause because he wasn't feeling well. 
in real life. But he, ca he came up with the thing whilst I, the professional entertainer, was sitting there thinking, what the hell do I do now? Yeah, I could be Get funny. a signature I on the contract. I mean, you're a professional. <laughs> no pay, no yeah. show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All too often, people want you to perform for no money whatsoever, as I think I've said before. It's for the but, exposure. Yeah, I, I can buy a lot of coffee with exposure. <laughs> but uh, but as we had no idea of uh, of of the Fay, well, we had very little idea of Fay cultural norms. We are also um, standing on the edge of several pit traps which we could have walked into at any moment and that i think is the essence of the gift giving giving um problem in role-playing games finding something in the first place and presenting it in such a way as not to insult your host is is the second problem and both can be fun for um uh for the gm and for the players if they're willing to approach it as yeah. fun and there, there are also, of course, negative value gifts. Um, I, I was looking up the the original usage of white elephant, uh, so this mm. is you know Burma, Siam, Laos, Cambodia sort of area. A yeah. white elephant is regarded as a very good and special thing, a sacred obligation to uh, attend it. Particularly if if owned, if, um, owned by a king, it, it, it is. It is a way of causing people to think, yeah, this this guy's a good king. He, he's got one of them. It, it's yeah. the appropriate symbol. It is also exempt from work for ritual reasons. Yeah. And it's an elephant. It's quite expensive. Like any elephant, it's quite expensive to maintain. So when you have... The, 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 the sweeping up of dung alone could bankrupt some rulers. So when when you have a a higher ruler giving a lower ruler a white elephant, it is a very mixed sort of gift because on the on the one hand here is this symbol of royalty that will make his life easier, but on the other hand yeah. here is a great expense. And because it is a gift, and here we start to shade into other cultures as well, um, he, he it's it he can't really say he can't really hive it off on anybody else or say oh well yeah it died or whatever. Yeah, uh, you, you can't really say I'll send it to the madam house. Uh, with with something that the king has given you, this and same prince. I, I know a number of people uh, in, mm. in this country uh, whose approach to gifts is basically, I give you the thing, and I want to see it every time I visit you ever after. <sighs> yeah. Where, whereas, as far as I'm concerned, a gift is well, it's mine now, and if I want to get rid of it, well, that's up to me. Yeah. So, all right. Let. We we could write a book about about Roger's cultural assumptions, but it would not. I think uh, that might be fascinating from a psychological point of view. Idiocultural. Yeah. Uh, my my idiocultural, can... like my idiolect, is is the way I do things. Right. Fair enough. <laughs> the uh, I, I yeah. The, I was going to co uh, draw comparisons with uh, Queen Elizabeth's ha habit of saying to her nobles, "I shall be visiting you." Um, next spring, uh, do make um, and stay staying for a week. Do make sure everything's in order. <sighs> and this is a a great expense and a great honour. Yes, and uh, I, I should imagine that modern monarchs and uh, modern heads of state have similar problems with finding space in their palaces and executive mansions for all the stuff that they've been given. Um. The, the the United States government has complicated regulations about what to do with um, 
uh, with uh, with stuff that the uh, chief executive has been given. And they probably can say, under almost all the circumstances, well, we wanted to put it in a better place, but, you know, regulations. Hmm. All right, but le- leaving aside, well... Let's so so that's, a neg- that's the negative gift concept. And yeah. you may completely accidentally give somebody a thing that they will perceive as a negative gift. Oh, dear. <laughs> well, well, it, this is complicated by the, give, the, the culture of giving back. In, in some cultures, I managed to, to uh, gather in the about 60 seconds of research I did for this item. In some cultures, uh, you are expected to be able to give something matching, if not identical in value, back to the giver at the time of giving. Yes, but and if, therefore, if there's no exchange, then it could be construed as, as uh, begging or bribery or one of those things. And, yeah. And you, would, you wouldn't want that to be thought about you. Just as ambassadorial um, gifts can be interpreted and frequently are as tribute. There, there is a whole board game about this in which you're essentially bribing your way up the Chinese uh, imperial bureaucracy. But you're yeah. always exchanging a gift. And, for and a then gift. You, then the thing you exchange for, you have to give to somebody else and so on. Good grief. That's, uh, I, the, and in, in the 60 second of research, I also came across the fact that uh, in many cultures, including the Chinese, which hand you are giving it with is important. As uh, uh, the, the left hand is seen as impure in some cultures, and it, but in some cultures you have to give with both hands at once. Um, and if you, you are not to give a Chinese man a green hat because it is a signal that his wife is um, unfaithful to him, which even the Chinese are not entirely certain why that is. <laughs> yeah, it, it, this does start to remind me of when you have developed an aristocracy that has little to do other than status games, this is when you start getting etiquette rules like that, that say, this perfectly normal thing that everybody does is suddenly terribly insulting, and you must not do that, and now we have a new way of spotting people who are in and separating them from people who are out. Oh, dear. And uh, I think, on the whole, you're using this in gift uh in in game gift giving is something is something you should reserve for when for when uh your player characters fumble uh in some systems such as GURPS you have cultural familiarity it, it's quite yeah. broad i mean 10 familiarities will cover the entire world as a general rule mm. uh and it, it's not a skill it's just a thing you either have or don't have yeah, you've lived amongst these people. You know how they hold themselves, yes. And certainly I, I would say if you have that, then you're not going to make this sort of error, at least in normal society. If if it comes into high society, then, well, we've we've got um, savoir-faire. That is precisely what the savoir-faire skill is for. Yeah, and, what, and precisely why it's specialised. So, oh, hang on, no, because in GURPS... You're right, GURPS is being, is being quite useful and... Um, at least they, this is the fourth edition. They've had time to get it right. Um, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's doing this with a view to making it more playable, but also allowing you the possibility of sticking your foot right in it. But as I say, well, it, there's a sort of uh, matrix here. I mean, you can have 
you have a single subwoofer high society skill, yeah. which notionally applies in high society anywhere in the world. And then if you don't have the right cultural familiarity, it's then a penalty to that skill. Mm. It's, I mean, you could make that more complicated and more realistic, but is it fun? No, quite. <laughs> but uh, uh, but unless you're playing paranoia, I don't think every encounter should be should be per, potentially potentially deadly. I think it's fun if you get the players into more interesting trouble, hmm. um, such as uh, finding yourself. Um, Finding yourself suddenly engaged to the Goblin King's daughter, who you've never met, of course. Um, yes, but you, because, you looked over at the screen that she was behind, so obviously that's a proposal. Yes, yes. Um, uh, you ling- your gaze lingered t- too long upon where she was hidden. Um, and you were wondering why everybody was looking straight ahead or up at the ceiling. The, uh, uh, But... By and large, there's getting the presentation right, and there's getting the gift right. And that can be really, really complicated. Um, I think, especially if if you come up short on on somebody's, uh, on on knowing you're going to have to give somebody uh, a gift, but not instantaneously having to give somebody a gift, as we based on Sunday, um, then you've got an opportunity for mass um, research and mass social interaction and trying to decide who's lying to you games, which can be fun. I'm also thinking of a a classic example of how you get a journalist to do you a favour. Handing them a bundle of used notes changes changes it to I'm explicitly paying you to do this thing whereas taking taking them out to a, to a really nice lunch ah. is not uh, yeah. this is assuming that journalists know anything which I think has to be demonstrated this is assuming journalists have some sen- some sense of self-esteem justified or otherwise well all right they they don't like to think of themselves as just doing it for the money so if you can make it not actual money this is this yeah. more likely to be accepted. There are again um, uh, on, on a brief burst of researching. There are a whole lot of rules about the giving of money. Um, the Chinese have got this especially bad with having to give it in uh, in specific amounts. Give it in nice new crisp notes. Give it in suitably coloured uh, envelopes. I think it was red. That my research ca- came up with. Uh, that, that's or, certain, certainly for you know, good luck at a wedding or something like that. Mm. The red envelope of money is is more is better than just money. Yeah, but uh, I always feel slightly crass when I give um, just money. It's, it indicates, at least in our culture, I think it indicates that you haven't taken the time to research the person. Well, that and, that, that is your acculturation. Book tokens were, were a good uh, middle ground for this. Because, yeah. you know, take somebody like me, for example, at pretty much any point in my life, it is undoubtedly the case that I, I will appreciate new books. But mm. it is also the case that probably I have the standard books on subject X that I'm currently interested in, that you know I'm interested in, but you don't know yeah. much about yourself. So you, can, uh, you you probably don't know what book would be useful, whereas I do. This is true. So and, a uh, book token is great. 
Well, this is this is true, but for some reason, and I'm not quite sure why in my own psychology, the modern equivalent, which is giving a, an Amazon an Amazon gift card, feels a little more crass. Well, that's the thing. Um, Amazon has lots of lots of stuff. An Amazon gift card is in effect money. I can use yeah. it on a book, or I can use it on you know a new spoiler for my car. Um, it is in effect. Practically anything that I might want, I will be able to get there. And therefore, the point of the book token, the virtue of the book token, as far as I see it, is that it is not money. It is saying, I know you are interested in books, but I want to give you some choice about it. And similarly, I mean, a a gift card for the shop that sells stuff for the things that that you are known to be interested in. Yeah, except that there are there are pitfalls there. This may may be English um, oversensitivity, but there are pitfalls in there because you give them uh, a, a gift card for a particular um, uh, chain store, and you are saying either I think you should be good enough to go to this place, or I think you're only good enough to be able to afford this place. Mm. Um, but that is probably a, a bit of oversensitivity on my but There's part. A, a question, I think, of how much one knows about the person as well. Yeah. Um, the, the, the book example, for it, um, you're, not, you're not in that example living with me. You don't know what books I have, but you still, oh, yeah. you still want to give me a present. Um, and the further away you are, the less you know about me, the, mm. the less specific you can be and still have some hope of producing something that's actually relevant. Yeah, um, it is complicated. It gets more complicated when it's an exchange of gifts um, upon a wedding. And actually, I'm thinking about whether dowry comes under this sort of heading. A dowry is something that's dowry negotiated. Is price, let's face it. That's true. And we feel that that's. Um, we feel that uh, that that that, uh, that paying a price to marry some, to have somebody marry your daughter, or or son, as it may be, with um, cultural differences, um, is uh, is insulting. But we feel it's all right to give gifts to the newly married couple, and there are even you know companies that will um, uh, will maintain the, uh, a gift list for you, and uh, and put, stick a little card into the hideous um, toast rack that you wanted, saying, from Uncle Mike. Though that, that's shifted quite a bit. Um, traditionally, that is, they, they are setting up home for the first time and they, they will need a bunch of stuff because they're no longer living yeah. with parents. Whereas these days, a couple getting married has generally already been living together. Yeah. And they don't actually need a whole lot of new stuff. They certainly don't need uh, new copies of stuff that they already have. And mm. while... while to, to my traditional acculturation, it may seem crass to say, well, please just give us money instead. It's actually much more relevant. Yeah, but it, uh, but it feels sort of like uh, the dowry that's... Um, that, that, there's something that puzzles me about dowries, which is that it, they aren't held in common. They are well, yes, given... women can't own property anyway, to a first approximation in, in the dowry era. True. Um, yeah, the thought of communal property seems to be um, a, late, a very late development. Was it the Spanish who had it first? Um, I can't remember. But the uh, uh, but but uh, nowadays, perhaps 
given what you were saying earlier, there might be the development of the shacking up gift. Ah, you're moved in together. Um, now is the uh, the occasion for a festive feast and the giving of useful utensils. Maybe. It's yeah, cultural though, though, again, there's, it may well be um, person A moves in with person B and person B is already living on their own. Yeah. So, and, and then a bit later, they, they, they've not killed each other for a few months. Then they decide to get a larger place together and so on. It, it, it's, it's not all at once the way it It's was. a gradual process. Yeah, you're right. Oh, dear. Um, there are still weddings, though. I've noticed that. I've been to some. Uh, I, I would like to uh, advocate uh, myself for, for the thing that Chris and I do, which is a present truce. We, we do not feel any obligation to get each other a thing at Christmas or birthday or whatever. We just, if we see a thing that the other would like, we ask them first, and then we then we get it for them. <laughs> and if it happens to be near Christmas or birthday, then we say, right, that that's your Christmas present. And if there is right. anything we don't, it's great, no stress. Good Do grief! It's I... wonderful. <laughs> well, I, I I find not being given things is a, is another chance to practice stoicism. <laughs> there is the gift of giving yourself. Which I think does ha- does in- if you if you push yourself into strange enough cultures, you may find yourself getting involved in. There's that famous, there's that noted episode of Firefly in which Mal believes he's uh, he's suddenly become married, though he's actually being conned. Um, and I, it's 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 a means of possibly introducing fresh characters into the game. Or maybe it's um, it's just a means of entangling player characters into things when they don't want to get entangled. I, I think one wants a certain sensitivity here. Uh, All right, you said yes. gratitudingly. I mean, so I can think of several scenarios which might end up with, with a sudden engagement and, and uh, you're going to marry this girl or, or we're going to do horrible things to you. Um one of which might well be the girl really wants to get out of the place and will be happy to go off as soon as they get to the next port. One of which is she wants to get out of the place and really doesn't have any useful skills other than what she's been allowed to learn, which may not be all that important on a spaceship, and so on. Um, I mean, there there are lots of possibilities here. It would be crass of the GM to introduce... uh... Uh, this girl wants to get out of here, and she really fancies you. Is going to stick by you for the rest of your life, whether you want it or not. It would be cruel. Fuck, okay, be cruel. for the honeymoon, we're going to Space Marine Boot Camp. I've been there before. <laughs> You're going to need these <laughs> skills. <laughs> <laughs> Dear, I, 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 I've, 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 I've got you a, a training course in marriage. No, not that. The important stuff. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so get, all right. Get, going back to the original example, what can you give a fairy without risking your eternal soul? Uh yes. Uh, well, parts of your body can be can be um, uh, can uh, can be uh, useful. Years of your life, you can find yourself giving. Um, I think often what is perceived is what does it cost to you, the giver. So. Yeah. You know, if if I have millions of quid and I and I throw around a thousand here or there, that doesn't mean anything much to me. Though the, though the thought still counts. It, it's very very nice for somebody else who doesn't have that sort of money, but it's 
it does not impress them with my generosity. It's no the point. And and sometimes that's what one's trying to do. Uh, uh, one, one advantage of body parts is, yeah, you have a limited supply of those. Modular and, uh, generation magic. <laughs> and they aren't making this particular model anymore. Um, Good thing, too. I, you could find yourself giving... There's a, a, there's a, a number of places in Unknown Armies, and I think in Over the Edge, where you can trade away things of abstract and um, and met- metaphorical nature. Um, the love of your life, um, your chance at happiness. Um, really, really valuable things, but... Um, that Rand- gonna... Random memories. Yeah, one of the things that uh, Unknown Armies features is uh, powering up sentient machinery with bits of your memory. Some of you, you might have memories you want to get rid of, but um, which but, are still but powerful. going to be useful for a machine? Uh, is it going to be powerful enough? Is the point, and um, uh, and are you going to be inconvenienced when you suddenly remember your wife has been dead for fifty years? Um, uh, when you when you go go to buy something for her birthday, I would argue that unknown armies is all about what will you give up for what you want. It's true. Um, what, what is the price you'll pay for the absolutely unreasonable thing you have uh, chosen to pursue? <laughs> All right. Um, I, I would say a fairy is a fairy a consistent thing in your in your idea of them. Do they have strict limits, or are they redefining themselves? Because the Redefining themselves sort is the most dangerous. Uh, it, it, it depends. Uh, they, are, they are certainly whimsical. Mm. Uh, if they have not actually given their words to something, then you're, you're screwed. Uh, the, the model I usually take, though, is that what they do not have is creativity. So mm. they, they, uh, they will see that thing that um, Brian did to entertain them, Okay, don't get your lascivious it. minds going. And yeah. they will copy it exactly. Ah. Yes, they and they they won't Well, in in that case in a, in a few in a few years, um there will be a market for a human instructor in that particular part of uh of the, the other the, side. The point is they they have not learned to do rifle drill, they have learned to do this specific rifle drill as he showed it in the exact sequence he showed it. And they will not think of that is a mental blind spot for them, changing around the elements or adding a bit or subtracting a bit. That is what the show is. Therefore, that is what the show is, and it must yeah. be the exact same. And they will not see, and they may be grateful to see uh, that that you can have more than one person doing it at a time. Yeah, and and doing it with uh, with other people and coordinating. Yeah, that that will not occur to them because that's not what they were shown. Yeah, um, and we must, if we ever go back, we must be very, very careful not to show any amusement at their attempts to duplicate it. And it will be superbly no. well done. Yeah, but it will miss the point. <laughs> it will miss the point entirely. And if the points miss us, we'll be very grateful. 
I think we may have uh, hacked this about about a bit. Uh, we hope we've given you some ideas about surprise gifts you can give to your players. It's and we ticking. S- mm. Don't worry, it's when it stops. You have to worry. And we'll move on to the next thing. I am, as I usually am, in my perpetual state of wondering what I'm going to do next. Um, well, I'm not actively wondering, worrying about what I'm doing now um, in the way of role-playing games. Uh, this is the state that I'm in. And one of the things that I'm thinking of doing is a rain game set in Italy during the rise of... Uh, Republic, or the king, first the kingdom and then the Republic of Rome, as they encroach more and more upon their neighbours. And I was hoping I might persuade my players to play uh, one of the cities of the neighbours, trying to get um, everybody to ally in a league against that bunch of uh, thieving, raping, uh, looting, pillaging, conquering, uh, wife snatching, um, uh, rogues and villains. Um, in the city on the Seven Hills. Actually, I'm told it's nearer near Nine Hills, but they, they thought yes, seven Yes, but legendarily, seven is a good number. Seven is a good number, yeah. Uh, uh, which, uh, which you have to note if you're giving cities to Romans. Um, and Ooh, no, sir, no, sir. We, we've got six hills. Always has been. Ignore that uh, heap of spoil over there. Ah. <laughs> uh, uh, and... Uh, Starting to do research, research into the Etruscans, research into the Latin cities, research into uh, Magna Graecia, uh, Greek colonies to the south, and whether I can work Pythagoreanism to the, into this. Hey. Um, I naturally started to get overwhelmed, and it occurred to me whether I should ignore the famous advice of Ken Height and not start with Earth at all, but start with... Um, Start with a pseudo uh, Earth, a pseudo Italy, and a pseudo Rome, where I can cram all the cool elements that I can find from the Italian uh, peninsula uh, into uh, something slightly more geographically convenient to me, and uh, into the same time period, which I'm starting to discover not everything I want to. Uh, make use of is in the same time period. Hmm. And there are alarmingly precise records about something as well some things, as well as being um frustratingly vague records about other things. So I wanted to talk about the advantages of uh the real world history, adapting that to uh my game, or the advantage of starting it over, doing a guy Gabriel K and uh, and taking the good bits. So this is something that uh, that role playing games have been doing since the beginning. You know, um, t- taking the good bits of medieval Europe and ignoring the people who keep reminding you what you get what you're getting wrong. Well, largely it was the good bits of fantasy fiction, <sighs> which was all right, all right. Yeah, that's which true. in turn was not always renowned for its world building. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think there are 
first of all, making up your own world is harder if you want it to work. If you just want um, the the stage set, you know, here here is the city of Rome flat that that we can do our thing in front of, then then fine. But my experience of role playing, or at least the sort of role playing I enjoy, is that when the players start wanting to actually engage with the setting, you need more than just oh well it's got this and this and this other things I like you you need to have them fitting together somehow or somebody will find hang on that keystone doesn't work and therefore the whole thing falls down I feel that I'm going to have to do uh, improvisations anyway I'm going to have to um, I'm going to have to come up with excuses as to precisely why this custom exists which um, I need for the sake of the story, um, and only work out what the implications are later. I, I'm perfectly certain that some of the best bits of world building in role-playing games did that, and then um, became well-known for, for the stuff that wasn't there from the beginning, but only got stuck in because um, somebody needed it and somebody asked the question. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think what you're arguing for here is basically bottom-up design, and I will broadly agree with you, with the constraint that it's really nice to have at least a vague idea of what the underpinnings are before you start yeah. relying on them. Yeah, you don't... And when I'm designing, designing a science fiction setting, very often the first thing I think about is, if there are going to be spaceships at all, how do the spaceships work? You know, how does FTL work? Do you just go from here to there? Do you have to trog through real space and go from here to there? Is it just jump points? That kind of, all these things. How long does it take while you're out of contact with the rest of the world? All of these things will affect so many bits of the society, right down to what it's like on an individual planet. Mm. That I like. I want to know at least vaguely what they're going to be like, even if even if they're not going to be primary elements in the game. You have to show them from the start the bits of the um, of the of the everyday life, the low level existence that are different from uh, the ones that they're expecting. You have to establish that there are slaves, that there are no slaves, uh, that there are marriages between men and men and men and women and women and men, and the people who are in the process of changing sex by magic. Um, you have and yet the little bits rest upon the big bits and the big bits frequently rest upon the little bits and I don't know if there's ever a good place to start from which is why I'm saying the the immediate needs of the story can dictate what you put in and then you rationalise it as long as you can um the more historical the setting is, the trickier this can be. I mean, as an economist and as an amateur historian, I guess I'm technically an amateur economist. I've never been paid for it. Mm. Um, <laughs> a qualified economist, whether you've been paid or not. I, I look at a society and I think, OK, all, all these customs, all these quirks have reasons. You know, this particular style of marriage came about because 20 generations back there was a big war and... Uh, there was a shortage of men, and so it 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 ended up you ended up getting uh, female heads of household, or possibly men shared between multiple women because there weren't enough to go around, or something like that. And that has then been mutated over the generations, and now we have this. 
or yeah, I, this, I, you know, this particular, uh, we, we use slaves where everybody else use be- uses beasts of burden because there's always a because. It may not make yeah. sense. It may not be a good reason, but there is always a why it happened. And the more historical it is, the more I say, well, hang on a minute. Why wouldn't magic have changed that? Hmm. And we, I think we've talked before about various ways around it. You know, magic is rare. Uh, magic is expensive a, a, in uh, in souls or in money. Has only become available recently, and so on. Um, I mean, I, I, I read this isn't just a role playing thing. I was reading an urban fantasy recently. It's not not a great book, not a terrible one, but it, it's set in a recognisable version of the modern world. It, it you know some some of the same brand names are there. Mm. And at the same time, there are dwarves and there are vampires and there are giants. Uh, and there there have been people with magic, really quite substantial magical powers, for a long time. Hmm. So why are there still, you know, mundane police who shoot people and are helpless in the face of magic? Quite. And so on. Um, th- th- more should have changed unless it's just a very recent breakout and they're still adjusting. This is one of, one of the things, to be fair, that I think Shadowrun got right. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a, a work in progress, the, Shadow, the Society of Shadowrun. And, uh, uh, yeah, they're, they're at the very least, if it's been around for a while, there should be wizard response teams um, uh, able, to, able to come in and deal with the weird stuff. Um, the the world of um, the world of rivers of London is sort of tending in that direction, and and if if the, if it continues to change, then it, then it's going to end up very unlike um, uh, unlike uh, the the modern world it started being based in, just as um, uh, just as Charles Tross's Laundry Files uh, does, but in a more cheerful direction. Um, the, the the new Rivers of London role playing game uh, has, has described itself as a Call of Cthulhu with added optimism. Not conspiracy was that, but yeah, okay. <laughs> you must forgive my my podcast partner; he's an economist. Um, another thing that occurred to me when you mentioned this is, I find that I'm quite willing to say. This kingdom is basically medieval France, but not exactly the same. Mm. Um, and I, I will assume in the background to that, you know, there is something like the same set of pressures that produced actual medieval France, but yeah. in, a, in a slightly different way. Where, where I do feel rather more edgy, partic- um, when getting away from the real world, is by saying the, this this person is a copy of Joan of Arc. I would much yeah. rather be able to say this is the actual historical Joan of Arc, even in my slightly sideways world. I mean, we've talked about my uh, magical World War Two game. Yeah, and there were an awful lot of historical people in that, and what, one of the great joys of it was think was thinking, okay, for Churchill, for um, Hitler, for yeah. all these other people, they have come to realise that there is magic in the world, with whatever degree of belief or not. What are they going to do about it? How are they going to react to that? And then I could use the examples of them reacting to other things to say, okay, well, it'll probably do this. Uh, 
and the more I got away from real people, the more it it felt easy to stereotype. I mean, some somebody like Churchill, there is an awful lot of example of how he reacted to things. And yeah. even when he was being a stereotype, he was a complicated bloke. And it is always, for me, tempting when I'm generating a, a completely new character just, just to go for the, okay, here's the primary, here's the secondary, that's enough. And I, and I like real people better. I Well, the trouble is, I, I, whilst I understand what you're saying about Churchill, for Joan of Arc, I don't have that sense of um, the reality of the person. Maybe some people do. Maybe devotees of the saints' cult do um, and have researched her lifetime and her sayings thoroughly. And uh, but What's that? An opportunity for more research? Oh, no, idea. how terrible. Uh, yeah, but, but I, I ran um, a game set in Han, which is sort of... Uh, fictionalised, magicalised medieval England, but not really. Um, and I included a Joan of Arc figure as an NPC, um, as a saint of the Church of Larani, Our Lady of Paladins. And she was, you know, the the uh, the, the foreign, a foreign-born um, a peasant girl with uh, who had been told to go forth and reform the the nobility, and uh, and she did, but uh, I didn't I didn't feel guilty about not using the full depth of uh, of what I could find out about Joan of Arc in order to make it real. Um, a good example of the um, not quite an earthly country is um, is Lewis MacMaster Bajol's the Curse of Shalion, in which Shalion is very plainly um, uh, a Renaissance uh, Spain. Well, Reconquista specifically, yeah. Recon- Reconquista Spain, yes, um, with bits of the uh, other religion hanging on, though it's fairly clear they've been hanging on for a while and they aren't going to go away. Um, uh, but uh, but, uh, but the, the, the centre of the new world is focused upon the nature of the gods and of the spiritual life of the of of the country, but at the same time, the pride of the nobility, their addiction to dueling, their um, poisonous um, politicking, is very much um, is very much um, uh, Reconquista Spain, and it feels. Um, like taking the bits that you like and stuffing something that you have created onto it and that and making them work together. Mm, I think it's very helpful that the primary focus of the books is the relationship between humans and gods. Mm. It it's not I mean, yes the yes the background is there and the background is important, but it is not primarily what the book is about. The the this problem of um the the uh King's ill health is not going to be solved by finding a better physician. It's going to be fi- solved by sorting out his relationship with the gods. It's going to be going to be resolved by somebody willing to give himself to the gods to use as their cat's paw. Um, and and it's something that I can't I I can't reuse 
directly because um, uh, not all of my players have my theological um, <laughs> inclinations or interests. Um, I really ought to get into one of your games one of these days. Oh, well, yeah. Maybe I, I'm perfectly certain I make them sound much better than they actually are <laughs> on occasion. The, uh, uh, the, the, the thing is that the point I was making was that Bujol takes the flavour, the feel, even the look of, uh, of of that period in Spain and moves it wholesale into a world where none of the... Uh, where there are similar events, but none of the precisely same um, intellectual justifications are in place. And the, the gods make large parts of the culture very much different to uh, Catholic Spain. But but it, 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 it has a depth because she's picked up as much as she can of the world and dumped it into something more fantastical, which even if I don't uh, do the Italian peninsula with the numbers filed off, I'm going to have to do for, uh, for this campaign if it goes ahead. And therefore, why not go whole hog? is what's occurring to me. Yeah. Uh, I think one one of the things I'm compelled to admit is that Bujold is an extremely good writer and I'm probably not that good. Uh, getting, that, getting that connection right is hard. And I, mm. I believe this is at the core of Ken Height's advice on setting it in the real world. You remove a lot of the work that you have to do even if you're then going to say, and we've just discovered magic, you've, you've got that basis of real history and actual people and what, what the political factions were and so on, onto which you can then build. Yeah, but as I'm discovering, there is in my mind, and I expect in many people's minds, a collapsing, a telescoping together of, um, of things that happened in the same place at very diverse times. Um, Ken Height, um, I think his, his last big project was um, post-Alexander, the um, Hellenistic period, where each individual city-state is probably enough to, um, uh, to, to, uh, to build an entire campaign, a campaign setting upon, um, where all, each place is slightly culturally different from the place just over the hill. And uh, where, well, it may not be the gods and legends still walking, but there are still extraordinary people and extraordinary things uh, going on. And if you can just use a Wainscot magic setting, then you're fit and ready to go, mate. <laughs> um, whereas I've got, um, I have to keep reminding myself, uh, the, the Roman king, the kingdom of Rome is not the Republic of Rome. Early Republican Rome is not late Republican Rome, and Republican Rome isn't Imperial Rome at all, at all. I want to stop before I get to Imperial Rome. In fact, I want to start, uh, start when Rome is still the upstart city that's causing everybody problems and people are saying, no, no, they're, they're just a flash in the pan, they'll go away. As was apparently said about Harlan Ellison the first time he turned up at a science fiction convention, let's kill him now. <laughs> I think that's Isaac Asimov repeating that story. Asimov is 
perhaps not entirely to be relied upon in, in, in these matters. Yeah, so I think to, to answer your original question, yes, if you can make it work, um, but accept that there is a lot more work to be done to make mm. it work. Yeah, I whichever way I jump, I'm going to have to, I am suddenly becoming aware, do a lot more work. I should not feel bad about this, <laughs> but um, it it is going to be um, a, a a long hard slog. What I would really like is something that sparks me, and what is something I'm going to have to go and do digging through a, a large pile of spoil to find is the moment that sparks me, makes me think this is the uh, the instant at which divergence can happen. Mm. Right. Okay. In that case, I think what I do is I, I try and try and keelhaul Ken Hightin, and uh, and get him to talk about uh, changing history so Rome never rises if he hasn't done it already. <laughs> I quite regretted not going to uh, to um, uh, to Dragon Meat, by the way, in the end, um, and I, I have, this is another example of me being lazy. And not getting out of bed early enough to um, get anything done. So, please, uh, listeners, please consider consider when when the end of December rolls around next year, shouting at me a little. Oh, uh, would that be the start of December? I mean, shouting at you at the end of December may, may be fun, but um, probably not productive. Uh, well, all right, all right. Unless at the end of November, shout at me. All right. Oh, further evidence of me going gaga. Are there things that you want to do historically that you think could take a good shaking up and reimagining from the roots? I'm generally more about take the the feeling I I have is if I'm not going to do the historical period, I I like to take one big concept from a period and drop it into a different setting. So, uh, as it might be. Uh, the the post Alexander city states. All right, let's put those in space. Um, uh-huh. There has been the big empire, and the big charismatic leader has died, and his his followers are trying to have a civil war. But really, people are more interested in, in forting up their own own star systems. Okay, yeah. How much of Alexand- How much of actual post Alexander is left there? That that's becoming quite a generic post empire setting. It is. Um, but is is there a distinctive flavour of the post Alexander which I can keep? I think there is in the dynast- in the founders of the dynasties and in the customs of the dynasties them- themselves. Um, not that I'm an expert, but um, I think you could you could probably pluck up s- out several possible responses to. Uh, I've been left I've been left this uh, tenth of the known known universe. Oh, what the hell do I do with it now? Uh, another thing that I'm reminded of by Chalian is that the the wonderful thing, but one of the many wonderful things about those books, uh, very good, highly recommended, read them, uh, is that they are the first example and the best example I've come across of an attempt really to portray the extent to which religion was in the medieval and, and largely Renaissance mindset a vitally important part of people's lives. Everything you do, you're thinking about, is this is this the right thing to do with respect to God? Yes, and God is assumed 
Um, how how will this affect my immortal soul? Is is just yeah. a constant part of your mental conversation? Yes, and certain things are taken as true because they are taken to be necessary for the uh, truths of religion to be truths. Um, and and I, I think if you, if you're copying a setting, let's face it, most fantasy ignores this. Yeah, um, because most fantasy uh, was written by. 20th century English or American people to whom religion is perhaps a nice thing, perhaps not a nice thing, but not the defining characteristic of their lives. The people for, for whom religion is the defining characteristic of their lives don't write fantasy. So. Uh, um, I cough and I point at C.S. Lewis and, uh, and J.R.R. Tolkien. Well, yeah, but l- where is the religion in, in The Lord of the Rings? Um, it, it's there, right there are there. supernatural beings who, whom you, you bow and scrape to, but there is not a religion. There isn't... No, you're right. There isn't... Um, uh, possibly because the, the universe is depicted as too close to its origins. For... And, and, and so when, when Gary takes the Lord of the Rings and Conan and so on, he, he's looking at, at settings in which, yeah, there are temples to gods, but... That's not a thing that a normal person needs to worry about. I think it's it's reinforced by the fact that uh, role playing games are mostly played uh, by agnostic or a- atheist twentieth uh, mm-hmm. and twenty first century persons who don't who only want religion as a bit of chrome as a special effect. And I mean, my, uh, my, my experience with overtly religious people is that generally they are using it as as a quick and easy answer to life's problems much as a political fanatic does you know if if you are a um objectivist then every question you have has an answer and that is a yeah. com- that is a comforting thing and and the same with that sort of um in my case it's usually been evangelicals i've met because i study them because they try to take away my role playing games um yeah but of course, this is not the only sort of religious person there is, um, and and I think it's actually really quite interesting as a role playing exercise to to try to take on the sort of person who is constantly thinking, yes, I could do this, but is it the right thing to do? Because mm. you know, God is going to judge me. There are um, atheist stroke agnostic versions of that, but um, I was never quite sure where Immanuel Kant's um, uh, uh, categorical imperative is supposed to be being imposed from, uh, but it's true that the thing about objectivists and um, and um, and uh, dogmatic religious persons is that they believe there is a, a truth and they believe that they know it. And whilst I can conceive of the first, I have problems conceiving of of the second in any reliable manner. Um. Uh, Doubt is just too omnipresent in um, in modern thought. But, yes. Uh, also, of the array of possible truths, it seems to me that the, the subset of those that leave you able to function as a human being once you know them must be really quite small, and it's a remarkable coincidence if, if the actual truth is one of them. Huh. I, I, I've observed in the past that many philosophers... Um, set out to uh, to move intellectual mountains to prove the thing that they believed right at the start. And this seems to me... I would be more impressed by philosophy if more philosophers were surprised by what they discovered by thinking. My word, it's all about the wood lice. 
God is terribly fond of beetles. <laughs> um, all right. I think we've uh, we, we've hashed our way across that subject, and as is usual, uh, ended up on far, far the other side of everything. But we hope you found that of interest and an inspiration to go out and do your own stuff um, in, in this uh, fine uh, new year of grace, uh, the first full year of the reign of King Charles, graciously reigning. Good luck to you. Oh, no, 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 no. We're not it. getting into regnal years. That's just... Oh, too complicated. Yeah, all right. So you have to get through the whole year to count. <laughs> Just asking. All right. Uh, onwards. That was Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice. And if you want to tell us about your... Um, reworked version of, let's say, Kidderminster in your fantasy campaign, then please do. We'd be interested. Uh, leave a message on the website or email podcast at tekeli.ly. And we'll be back next month in the deep, freezing, probably absolutely iced up middle of the winter. Um, and we hope you have fun in the meantime.